Hello, and you're very welcome to Season 2 of the Jameson Graduate Programme Podcast. This is a six-episode series focusing on a different part of the Jameson International Graduate Programme each week. These episodes aim to share insights onto how the programme supports you both professionally and personally from both past and present band ambassadors. You'll get to know all about that serious character we look for in candidates. On this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Simon Fay, Business Acceleration Director. Simon will be talking to us all about his career journey and learning from leaders. Hello, Simon. Hi, Podge. Nice to be here. Nice to you. I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think the last time we've been coppers, was it? I... <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't, but great memory to have all the same. Uh, I wouldn't forget it. I don't lie, Simon. One of my one of my best moments of the program so far. Uh, Simon, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I think, um, like everybody, I think we're just trying to get through the this madness that we're living in right mm. now, and um, you know, live our lives as best we can, and and work as best we can, find a balance between that. Um, but in good form, you know, looking forward to a, cr- a bit of a Christmas break as well. Great. Yeah. Yeah, same as myself. I won't be going to Coppers this I'll Christmas. Be, <laughs> Simon, I'll, be, I'll be waiting for you. I'll be, I'll be waiting there <laughs> ever since. down anyway. We won't yeah, be Yeah, I know, I know. But Simon, for people listening, I guess mm. I mentioned there you were about your programme alumni and your current yeah. business acceleration director. Let's start off before we talk about what your current role is. And yeah. When you joined the programme, a bit of background to yourself, what, what you studied. Yeah. Well, you know, just before you go to college, you obviously, when you're in, in secondary school, you've got to, you know, shape what, what sort of direction you want to go in. And I definitely was one of those students in secondary school that wasn't 100% sure exactly what they wanted to do. And as I got a little bit sharp, I went to school not too far from here in CUS on Leeson Street. And I used to come down Dawson Street an awful lot to, to get the bus home. And I'd cut through Trinity. And as I cut through Trinity on many, many occasions, I'd go, Jesus, wouldn't you imagine? It wouldn't be great to go here and this would be a great place to go and study. So I, I kind of was quite narrow-minded in, in one way. I said, I want to go to Trinity because mm-hmm. I saw exactly what was going on. Um, and we used to go down to concerts down there as well. And it was, it was, it was a brilliant space. But, um, you know, going through school, I would say that we wouldn't have had the greatest level of career guidance. <laughs> and uh, I would have been easily distracted is probably a good uh, summary of, you know, <laughs> I, I'm trying to think my, my mother probably went to a lot of parent-teacher meetings. <laughs> Simon is a lovely lad and, uh, he, you know, he's, he doesn't apply himself, he, but he has, he has, he has the ability. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he's easily distracted. But, um, and I was easily distracted. And, you know, I think at that, uh, at that point I think sport was you know I, I love sport and uh, I played a lot of rugby in school and any sports really I, I could you know I, I loved it and um, anyway um, I, I, I suppose it, it, it I really wasn't I didn't really have a sharp view of what college was going to be for me and and as I said I don't think we had a great lot of we didn't have great coaching or mentoring back then um, like we do today to try and kind of tease it out with individuals or, or mentors and you know your 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 parents are maybe you know, not forcing you in a particular direction. So you kind of sometimes have to kind of figure that out yourself. Um, but, you know, I think um, I, I kind of had targeted um, Bess uh, in Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't do a great leaving because I was distracted. <laughs> uh, didn't get that. And um, and funny enough, um, along with two other good pals of mine as well, um, one is in, in Seattle now working for Microsoft. Another one is, is, is a solicitor down in, Kenny, the three of us said, oh, we'll go back and repeat our leaving because we, we didn't get, none of us got what we wanted to the get. The three musketeers. Yeah, going back exactly. To- <laughs> so we headed off to Ringsend to repeat the leaving and within, 
I think within uh, two to three weeks, we said, no, this is not for me. Um, I'm not doing this. I can't do it. I'm not going through this again. It doesn't feel right. So um, I, I, I went off and did a bit of research to see what, what could I do with what I had. Um, I was interested in finance and economics. That's really what, what I liked at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, there was um, what we know today to be a you know Dublin Business School was was a kind of a, a small private college at the time called it was accounting business college and uh, I went in there thinking I was going to do accountancy so I was going to start off doing this financial degree and then get enough credits to go and do a, um, to do ACCA basically um, but kept failing. Uh, t- distracted, failed. you were still distracted. I was st- slightly distracted with a pool hall uh, for most of first year, failed first year, um, and um, kept failing tax. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad it's netted off my salary yeah. today that I don't have to worry yeah, about You don't have to worry about that yourself. But I, I kept failing tax. And I remember I, I went to the register and said, you know, what, what, what could I do? And she's, you're doing really well in these other kind of business subjects and management and, and, uh, and marketing, which, you know, it was a, kind of a new subject and in, in those days you know it, it was a lot of uh, you know it was it wasn't as well known as it is today mm. so she said you could divert in there um and you could jump into that and i said okay let's go so um i did that but at the same time i was kind of a bit restless because i really wanted to work and i wanted to get that independence and i wanted to put a bit of money in my back pocket and kind of live my life um, so they had the option to do that, um, to do that at night. So I had, um, I had a year to run on the, on the program and I, I swapped into the, 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 the night version of it. Yeah. Um, I divided that, I think I had seven subjects to do in my final year. Um, and I divided seven subjects over three. <laughs> mm. I didn't intend to do that, Okay. but w- what happened was, um, did the first year it was fantastic. I got, you know, I got a job. I got a job with um, with it was. It's not Diageo as it is as we know it today, but it was called Gilby's, and it was a small part time job, and it was a kind of starting at the at the start of college because college would have been October part time starting in, in, on Tuesdays or Mondays and Wednesday nights, and uh, I started off with them and um, loved it. From worked with them from kind of September October through to December. Um, and then um, loved this kind of the vibe that I had in the drinks. It was drinks industry. Obviously. Yeah, that's what, that was your first exposure to the Yeah, exactly. And it was merchandising, basically. It was yeah. a, in the Christmas run up, um, going out into off premise stores, building displays, um, working in s- small sort of brand development work in some on premise accounts in Dublin. And that really gave me a taste for it. And I kind of liked it. Mm. Um, and I could also apply a little bit of what I was doing at night. So college was running on a, on a Monday, Wednesday. I was playing sports on Tuesday and Thursday and on the weekend. So it actually worked for me. Um, so I said, that's it. After Christmas, I wanted to stay in the drinks industry. Um, so I put out my CV to basically Heineken, I think Guinness and IDL. And IDL came back in February. Um, and they were hiring, they had four merchandisers for the whole of the country. It was pretty much north, south, east and west, basically. Yeah. And I took a position, I, I was lucky enough to get a position on the on the east side of the country, which went as far north, I think, as, as Monaghan, as far south as Port Leash and as far west as Tullamore. That was my kind of region. And I basically did, I started to do that in 1996. And I did that role from 96 to 98. And in 1997, what caught my eye was this kind of Jemison graduate program. And I went, hmm, yeah, I like the look of that. Mm-hmm. And I'd seen and heard of a few people that had done it. I suppose I had the wonderlust as well. I thought, you know, I wanted to go overseas. I wanted to work and travel overseas. 
I've been exposed, I suppose, through my teenage years of international markets. My father worked in Saudi Arabia and Iraq for 20 odd years, and we used to go in and out there quite a lot. But um, <clears throat> so I had this kind of, you know, I wanted a little bit more than, than Ireland. I wanted to kind of explore a little bit more. So I went to the graduate program in 1997 and I didn't get it. And I think, you know, I think they were right because I wasn't ready. I remember I was doing my, I was still in college at night um, and I had another two years to run on that because yeah. I only took, <clears throat> I took three subjects, th uh, two subjects, and then I did the final in the last year. So anyway, I didn't get it. Um, they said, listen, come back to us next year if you're, if you're, if you're still motivated, if you want to go for it. I did. I went back at it, but I still had another year to run on the exams. And they did a deal with me. They said, you're on the program. And this was in 1998. You're on the program. Uh, Sinead probably wouldn't pass this now today. Um, you're on the program, but on the proviso that you finish the two exams in your thesis that you're meant to do. Yeah. So I went into the register again and I said, listen. <laughs> this register looks yeah. a bit sick at this stage. Uh, it's a different one, actually. This time. <laughs> probably had a note. Just yeah. like, Stay away from this lad. Um, and I said, listen, I'm not going to be in any lectures for the, for the next year um, because I've gotten on this program. And they said, I think you're mad. You need to finish your studies. But I said, I'm going to finish them. Can I come and sit the exams? Okay. So they said, yeah, but you're not going to attend any lectures. And I said, exactly. So um, <laughs> I got the notes sent to me. Mm -hmm. So um, there, was a, there was a girl in the, in, the, in the class who gathered the notes. She gave them to Donna McHenry. And Donna McHenry DHL'd out to me. What sort of black market college <laughs> notes is this? And this is how it went. I'm telling you the truth. Um, so Donna used to DHL the notes out to me. Um, I came back with a month ago before the exams were due to be set. Uh, I think it was around May. And I did them and I passed. So, uh, you know, that was the end of that. But it was an incredible journey. And then obviously I went off to South Africa then in 1998. Before, I guess, before yeah. we go into where you went to it, that, uh, it's a great example there of um, not so much your, your exams and, and the placement on uh, the placement on the graduate program because that, that isn't yeah. a, a thing anymore but mm. certainly it's a great example of even back what that was 25 years ago 24 years ago 25 well 20, 1996 97 98 yeah. yeah and like you didn't get it your first time around but, but you came back and that's something certainly even to this day people think that if they apply once that means they can't reapply um, but often that, that's not the case at all so many people on the program have reapplied and got yeah. um, a, a place in their second year in the pro because the people knew at the time that I wasn't ready to go for whatever reason and um, and they made that decision I hadn't lost the hunger for wanting to go on the graduate program I still had two exams to do in a, an end of year project to finish um, they did the deal they said listen you're on the program but you need to do it and I did it um, and I wouldn't change a thing you know, I wouldn't change any part of that journey, you know, uh, at all. Um, had I not been distracted in, in, <laughs> in sixth year, fifth and sixth year, had I not been distracted in the first year in college, who knows what I would yeah. have done. But, um, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. And then you mentioned that. So I guess from that, you got onto the program and yeah. this is, this is essentially the, the start of, of your career with, with exactly. Idea. Yeah. Well, not your start of the career with idea, but your start of your career through the Jameson graduate program, <clears> which led you to where you are today. But where did you, what was your first placement? Where, where, did, where were you sent to the start? Yeah, well, South Africa and South Africa was a very uh, young market for us then. I think we were selling about um, 10 to 15,000 cases and they had just taken sort of two graduates in one go in one year 
um, and had had done really well with them. Uh, John uh, John O'Sullivan, who's now the CEO uh, or managing director of Prenderikar Thailand, and Fergus Fitzgerald, who's actually just left Prenderikar and is actually setting up a, a, a vineyard in in the south of France. Um, so those two boys were already there and I went in um, I went to I was sent to Cape Town initially mm. I was told Cape Town was going to be uh, where I was going to be based so I'd done a lot of research in Cape Town and thought okay this is going to be interesting this is going to be great but within two weeks I was told I was going to the Lion's Den and I was being sent to Johannesburg and I thought okay well bring it on very naively you know yeah. but you know, I went there in, 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 in 98 that was four years after apartheid had ended um, there was a lot of um, cultural change taking place in Johannesburg, um, which was incredible to witness and see. Um, and how Johannesburg as a city centre, even then, was starting to try and rejuvenate itself, while another part of the population had, you know, had had moved towards Santon, um, which was kind of becoming the financial hub of, of Johannesburg and South Africa. So to be there in 1998 and to see this uh, change taking place in their in their in their society um, and their culture was brilliant to see. We used to, you know, we used to go to to bars and restaurants and and clubs that, you know, it didn't matter whether you were black or white or mm. whatever culture, race, background, you know, you were there, and it was brilliant to it was brilliant to to see that. Where Cape Town would have been a little bit, probably a little bit more reserved, Johannesburg was a lot more diverse. Um, so I loved it um, and really took to it. And how long were you there? As, as, certainly as a, I know you were you worked there after a post-programme, but how long were you there on the graduate? As yeah, well, you see, the graduate programme in those days was one year. Um, and one year really wasn't long enough because mm. it would take you um, anywhere between six to eight weeks to kind of orientate yourself into the role, into the city, um, to get yourself accommodation, get yourself set up. Um, and it did take me that. Yeah. I, I think I, 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 I slept on John O'Sullivan's couch. <laughs> In his apartment uh, for probably too long, John. I'm telling you, too long. <laughs> I think I slept in John's couch for about six weeks, and um, we we hadn't we we didn't have a shower. We had like a a bath with a with a tap. <laughs> yeah, we had a, like it was it was that basic. Um, but I finally got my own my own apartment, um, and I started to kind of live. Um, in Johannesburg. And what, did what was your role, sorry, what was your role as a brand ambassador? Yeah. I guess just to compare it to the role of today, was there much difference in terms of what a brand ambassador does? No, fundamentally, I don't think I don't think there was a huge amount of difference. I think that we, we talked about it recently about the tools and the insights that we have today. We didn't have them then. You know, I didn't leave with a laptop. I didn't leave with a, a, a mobile phone. Um, there was no social media. Um, so you, you go down to South Africa and You've got a computer when you get there, and you can write up your reports and your and and your your monthly reports back to back to Dublin on that computer. Um, but you know, my role then in Johannesburg was this kind of interlink between, which was Johannesburg wasn't the head office; the head office was in Cape Town. It was a regional sales um, structure in Johannesburg, okay. so it was it was initially the sort of the link between um, the sales team. An activation, but what I could see straight away, um, and it was a learning, I suppose, from from Ireland, was that when I got to Johannesburg, the sales team called on both the off-premise and the on-premise at the same time. So there was no on-premise team and off-premise team; it was just one sales team. And actually, in reality, the on-premise was never really being properly serviced because 
the volume that they were going to hit on a weekly, monthly basis was was going to come from the off-premise. Mm. So um, we went, uh, I think, to the regional sales director at the time and said, we need to sort of set up a small on-premise team where we could start to kind of business develop. Um, and it was very simple because Johannesburg has this massive ring road all around around the city, right? It's like one big M50, but it's looped. <laughs> oh, it's What's it like a 5 p.m.? So? <laughs> it's terrible, <laughs> but it's properly looped. It's a circle. But right up the center of that um, is 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 exact is the is a road that kind of and all the on-premise takes place in that space, right up this a certain sector of of that road. So we just said, listen, if we concentrate on this area. If we really focus down um, and start kind of just going out, meeting the bar owners, meeting the the the, um, the bartenders, and talking to them about Jemison, I think we've got a chance. So he let us have a go, and we did it, and we got lots of new listings, and it just went from there. Um, it was a you know, there was no day off; like it was it was Monday through Sunday, and your 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 personal life was your was your work life as well. Mm. Um, our friends were restaurateurs and bartenders. Um, we never paid for any dinners. Everywhere we went, we were fed. Yeah, uh, it was amazing. Now I don't know if that's the case in every market now, but <laughs> certainly in terms of your friends and your community, and you kind of mm. often with this with the job, and still today that like you know your personal life is your professional life, yeah. but not in a. It, it's a natural process. It's, it's because the people you hang around with are it's from the bar community. Yeah, like no. they become your friends. You become yeah. part of the community, and it's it's quite lovely because because as you say, everywhere you go, you, you and it's, you know you can get. I'm not saying it's free dinners everywhere. No, well, you got, certainly get looked yeah. after, and you make friends, and you know the places to go, and you know who works mm. there. So it's it's really nice because when you go, and that's the best way to get to know a place as well. The, the locals and, and the people yeah. who work in the hospitality industry. I joined the rugby club as well because that was my you know that that's the sport that I love and and played at the time so you know I joined a local club and met loads of new people through that pro, through that as well so you know that gave me another outlet away from work which I think everybody needs and mm. you know then it maybe we didn't have the same level of awareness around mental health and fitness and exercise and and good nutrition um and look and sleep you know looking after yourself um I think we would have burnt the candle at every end of it <laughs> uh, and worked hard and played hard. But, you know, sport for me was a great outlet and it 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 was and still is today. I struggle with it a little bit today because every time I try and run a little bit, I pull a hamstring. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so, <clears throat> you know, Johannesburg was incredible. Um, and I did that um, 98, 99 into 2000 and then was asked if I'd come down to, to back to Cape Town to head office. And get into a kind of what we would call today kind of a classic ABM role. Mm -hmm. um, assistant brand manager. for Yeah, the, but for the, it, it, the team was so small. There was there was a marketing director. Um, I think there might have been two other people in marketing and me. But in reality, in, in those days, um, the, the MD and the CEO was, he was every one of those roles. Um, and he, he was an interesting character, David DeMarth. And he really understood the market. Um, he um, was obsessive about uh, visibility of the brand in, in the off-premise, in the on-premise, on the back bar positioning, um, obsessive on price and managing, you know, that premiumness of the brand through price, but also through, um, you know, quality visibility of your brand in the market, mm. you know, whether it be an outdoor uh, piece of outdoor advertising in the right space or whether it be an umbrella um, in Clifton um, is an area there just outside Cape Town where it's a beautiful it's on the beach but 
every brand wants to be in on that strip. Yeah, you know. So you know, that's he was quite obsessive, and I used to get these phone calls in Cape Town and at around half eleven on a Saturday morning okay. <laughs> from him, and he'd go. Simon, where are you? <laughs> and I, the accent's really good. Yeah, where are you? And I went, uh, you know, I, I don't. I, I'm playing football. I could be wherever. Yeah. yeah. And he goes, "Have you been to Harley's Liquor?" And I said, "No, not yet, but I'll, I'll go down." He, he said, "You know, he'd want you in the in the bottle stores at the busiest times." And we used to hand sell, so we'd go into the aisles of Macro or you know independent bottle stores, and we'd spot guys coming in, mainly men, um, buying. Bells or JB, and we target them and we just go over and say, Hey, listen, have you ever tried the Jemison? And then we hit them with the with the pitch. Um, and and sometimes if we were able to, you know, do a, a, a wet tasting in the store, you'd 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 get them to sample and you'd win them over. So he might be buying six bottles of Bells or JB, and suddenly he was buying four and two of Jemison. Mm. And that over time became six bottles of Jemison. So every Friday afternoon. We'd do that, you know, we'd have, we'd, we'd do our work in the morning, we'd grab lunch, and then from around two to five, we'd be in, on the aisles selling. And we used to, you know, David would ring you then on Saturday morning, if it was a busy weekend, he'd go, why aren't you in macro? It's it's busy, man, and all this sort of stuff, so. Do you still have the kind of sales pitch in your head? Yeah, every, every yeah, absolutely. <laughs> come on, come on, give uh, it to you. No, no, I'm not gonna give it to you now. <laughs> you know it, it's triple the still, yeah, it's smoke, yes. blah, 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 blah. blah. <clears throat> But, you know, I think I find myself doing it even when we go into market visits today to the US, you know, you'd be in the store and you'd be looking and be watching to see who's who's coming up to buy a bottle. And then you'd go over and you'd, you'd, you'd hit them. Um, I don't know if people are as... Bes- Figuratively, that is, with their sales <laughs> yeah. switch. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> not smack them, no. Um, you'd hit them with the, with the sales pitch. But I, I'm, I'm not too sure people are as receptive, but, you know... People do want information at the point of purchase, and sometimes you're hit with this wall of product, and you mm. can't distinguish. You know, you can't distinguish um, what makes this versus this different, other than price. Um, so, if there's somebody there that can help you, I mean, it's a very powerful moment where you can actually switch somebody. So, um, we did a lot of that, and I'd say as well from your perspective, given how small the brand was back in. 9798 to what it is now certainly in South Africa is there a sense of I guess gratification there knowing that you had such a huge part to play in that no I, I didn't everyone had a part to play in it but it's a great it's a great I so, a sense of achievement um, to be able to look back and to remember it when it was 10 or 15,000 cases and knowing the building blocks that got it where it is today and those are the kind of building blocks that you know uh, as a graduate, you, you as as a graduate, you learn mm. um, on this program because you know the business from the very ground level up, um, and you know really appreciating what it what it means to hold a premium price and to maintain your price because the minute you lose that, you become <clears throat> the based or a, a commodity, um, and that kind of brand call is lost. So really trying to maintain that premium price. Um, is very, very important. Um, the visibility in store, you know, in South Africa in those days, we looked much bigger than we actually physically were because we managed to get kind of forward share in stores. We got more display in stores than than we were, we deserved. Mm. Um, but it wasn't as complicated then because <clears throat> you didn't have category plans that were dictating where, where brands had to sit and, and be placed. You were really dealing on relationships going in and getting to know, really putting a lot of time and effort to getting to know the individuals in the store. 
I did that in Ireland. I did it in Dunn Stores and, and as well before I left to go to South Africa. But it's become a little bit more scientific today with planograms and... and but that relationship building piece is still as important as ever. And I think so, yeah, without a doubt. That's one of the main things that you do as a James graduate programme is, is to build relationships in your market. Um, and I want to talk about, I guess, what you took from the programme. But briefly, I guess, if you want to talk about your, your journey from Johanna, or from back to Cape Town to, to um, your role now, which is how, how that... How that happened? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so, so I, guess I, th the <clears throat> I think the call made it, might have come through just uh, around October, November of of two thousand, and then I came back in two thousand and one, in the kind of late early early spring. I think it was February or March around that time. No, it would have been before March. It probably was January. Mm. <clears throat> to, to what to what role? Yeah, to an export role. So it was what we called to then it was the commercial department or the business development team. And my <clears throat> my job at the time was Australia, New Zealand, based in Dublin, but being the interlink, being the link between um, the brand company and the market company mm -hmm. and being able to um, translate brand strategy into local market activation. And then to be that kind of um, communication loop between the market company and brand company both ways. So brand company to market company and market company back in. Because what that, that last part of the process is very important because you're giving feedback from the market back into the brand company, what's working, what's not, what do we need to change? Yeah. So that role was yeah, that was that was a great that was a great grounding because you really start to understand um the sort of the commercial reality of of trying to build a brand as well as the kind of the 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 brand activation reality. You understand. You start to understand what it means to to manage a a, a P and L of a brand, um, and the value of a brand within the P and L. It was brilliant grounding, and there was a great team in IDL at the time in two thousand one, um, two thousand two up to you know twenty two thousand five. It was just a brilliant journey. So I, I started off with Australia, New Zealand. I think in the year one, I spent five, I was I was five times in Australia in one year. God. Yeah. I was constantly jet lagged. That's probably the most traveling I've heard of in the last probably four or five yeah, years. Yeah, I was honest. I was constantly jet lagged. <laughs> but I used to, as I got smarter about it, I used to kind of um, fly into Singapore and then go into Perth and then work my way south back to Brisbane and back out of Brisbane and out. Or maybe, you know, Perth down to Adelaide. Um, my knowledge of Australia now is very well, sorry. Yeah, limited. yeah, Western Australia down into okay. Ad, uh, down, <laughs> down into Adelaide and, and and Melbourne, hop over to Auckland and then come back to Sydney and then back out of Brisbane or something along those lines. But I used to go for you know, I used to go for two weeks. You know, I wasn't married, uh, I wasn't in a relationship uh, at the time, and um, uh, so it was a little bit. It was, you were more flexible more flexible yeah, yeah, yeah. freedom to go for two weeks yeah um so so from that perspective um i think uh you wouldn't do that today or maybe you would uh depending on on the on the task um but yeah i, I think i did australia and new zealand maybe five times in one year and that repeated itself for three years okay so i'd been in australia about 14 or 15 times over three in a, in a three-year period um and really got to know that market well mm -hmm. uh, we tried to launch the rtd back then believe it or not uh, Jemison Chill. It didn't really work uh, first time out, but we learned a lot. Which of the Jemisons in the cans? It was, for, no, for, for, for no it was in the bottle. Um, in the bottle? Yeah, it was called Jemison Chill and it was in the bottle. And it was Jemison Lemon, Lime and Bitters. Um, and um, there was a lot of pushback at the time in IDL. 
because it was um what are you doing you know you know this is crazy um putting it in a you know it's not in a 700 ml bottle and you're mixing it in with something else yeah. yeah but australia australia was always leading the way and in, in ready to drink and um, I think, what is it, 51 or 52 percent of all spirit sales, it could be even higher now, it could be close to 60 of all spirit sales are in RTD, uh, in the RTD format. So if you're not in the RTD in Australia, you're not going to compete. Mm. So then that kind of to fast track on, I, that started to look after Asia. And that was quite difficult because that was a kind of an eye opener because you were really trying to battle your way in to a portfolio that was already um, structured. And Jemison was a real small player, wasn't even recognised. Um, the big brands post Seagram, post um, uh, Ala Demek, you know, you had Ballantines, you had Shivas, you had Martel in Asia and you were trying to break in there with Jemison was almost impossible, but kept kind of banging that door and trying to find a way through in Thailand. Um, at the time, it was probably the market that was giving us the most traction. And funny enough, today it's, it's similar. Mm. Um, Japan. And then just post Seagram kind of starting to, to, to go into India. Um, and introduce kind of um, Irish whiskey first and foremost, and what it is, and then the brand. Um, and that that was that was a massive because Seagram India were a big big company, and they they had their own whiskies. So going in there talking about an Irish whiskey was it was going, always going to be a little bit of a challenge. Um, but you know, you just gradually keep chipping away. And I think we can see we can see the value of that today in India. I mean, it's it's an incredible market and it can be a, a million cases for us by 2030, I think. Mm. And then, so then post, so you're in the, <clears throat> that role till when until you joined your, your current position? Yeah, so um, in, 20, in 2005, I <clears throat> was asked to move out of that Australian, New, Ze New Zealand, Asia um, space and move into North America in the same role um, and then became regional director for, for North America and loved it. But there was always a kind of the tyranny of the distance, not too dissimilar to Australia. Mm. You had to travel to really get there and to engage. And I loved when I got to market and I got to kind of meet people and talk to people and um, engage at a, at a local market level. And I always was trying to close that gap. So in, you know, in 2010, I think it was, um, I was offered the position to go over as brand director for Jemison in the US. Um, at this point now I'm married. We have uh, three young daughters. We had triplet girls. Um, they were one. Um, Idel was pregnant with Isabel. Um, and we left in December um, 2010. And Isabel was born <clears throat> on the 4th of February. Um, in, in, in New York. In your, oh, she's yeah. American, American passport. Oh, she has a blue passport. So, yeah. <laughs> so lucky. And she says water. <laughs> oh, she says water, like it's an American. No, she jokes. But, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so we had four nippers at one point in an, in an apartment in Manhattan under one. Oh, God. And, and and then obviously the girls turned two in, in, in April. Oh God, to the apartment now, not to have yeah. the four kids with the- No, no, a bit of both actually, part yeah. in reality. <laughs> um, um, and, you know, trying to balance that would start a new job at the same time with, I think, quite a demanding boss at that time too. Um, so, um, yeah, it was quite demanding. Um, but again, you know, we look back on it and we, we chat about it. It was an incredible experience. Isabel was born there. The girls can just basic hardly remember. We show them pictures and they go, oh, yeah. 
Um, but we got through it and... The brand was growing so much. It was. It? it was really, it was at a real, it, it was 1 million cases actually um, in 2011. And we were 2 million cases in the rest of the world. So we celebrated in 2011, we celebrated 3 million cases. But the US was exciting and it was this, um, it was starting to gather a bit of pace in popular culture. And um, it was just a great time to be there. Mm. It was an amazing time. I wanted it to last longer. And I, I, you know, I wanted to stay in the US and I wanted to kind of consolidate that role as brand director. And then in the May of 2011, Idella had gone back with the girls. Oh, sorry, Idella had gone back with Isabel um, to introduce Isabel to the rest of the family here. And I was back in New York with the three girls. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul Duffy rang me one morning. I was actually on my way out. I was, on, I was in Grand Central on my way to look at a house. Um, in, in Connecticut because we couldn't afford to live in New York in Manhattan yeah yeah and we hadn't got a car um to do your shopping was a, it was a nightmare you were, oh, I lived there for three months and it's it's a it's yeah it's yeah, a nightmare. yeah well it's a great city you know it's a great place to live and, and experience life um but um yeah he said don't sign for that don't sign anything mm -hmm. he, I said why he said because they'd like you to go back and this is, we, we, we landed there in December and this call came in May. We had boxes in the back room that still weren't still open. Apart. Yeah. So, um, he's, he, Paul was really, really good. He said, listen, I, you know, whatever you want to do, I'll support you. If you want to stay, I'll support you. If you want to go, I'll support you. But either way, I think I know what you need to do, which was to go. So, um. I think when in, in the next 24 hours, I think Connor called me. Alex Ricard was CEO of IDL at the time. I got a call from him and Alex, or sorry, Connor, and said, listen, did you come back? Mm -hmm. That was it. I think we came back. We had rented out our house here and I'd made some commitments to the people that were renting it. So um, Connor was moving to South Africa, okay. become CEO of so, South Africa. Yeah, yeah and that, I was jumping into his role. So Connor and I had a chat somewhere. I can't remember where it was. And he said, listen, why don't you take our place? You know, it's fully furnished. My sister was going to move into it, but she's not now. Um, my car is there. There's the office. <laughs> you know so basically, funny it's so similar as well to graduates when they go to, yeah, when they similar. take over a market. It's like, right, well, you can take the old apartment. brand ambassador of the old apartment, or the apartment of the old brand ambassador, because they're moving on to the next. Yeah, but that's uh, what happened. So Connor moved on and, um, we moved into his house um, and himself and Elaine, they were amazing. Um, and what was your role from commercial? Basically what you would call a commercial director or business development director. Mm -hmm. That was Connor's role at the time. He was on the leadership team of IDL, but he was becoming CEO of, of Pernod Car South Africa. So, um, and he was moving to, to Cape Town. So we took his house in Terenure for, I think, 12 months. I gave notice to the, the, the guys that were in our house in, uh, out in Meath. And they were getting married. So that kind of gave, a, gave us a nice kind of transition of 12 months. It was lovely to live in Dublin, um, cycle to work, which was a new thing for me mm. um, because I was always in the car. Um, and um, yeah, that was a nice time. Um, and there was a transition. Anna Malmaka came in at that time and was a new CEO. And we were trying to develop emerging markets. So there was a lot of work from 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15. It was like hectic, mm. traveling everywhere. <clears throat> you, 
young family. Um, but it was mental. And then um, in 2015, there was a big change. And um, there was a point in time that I thought I was probably going to be leaving primary care in reality. Because what, what was happening was the role that I was in was being collapsed. Mm. And the responsibility was being given to the marketing director. So um, I probably had one or two conversations outside of primary car, you know, with people that I respected um, and to try and get advice on what I should do and one or two internal as well. And basically, to sum it up, the advice was, Simon, either decide to get on the train or get off the train. And if you're on the train, work with them on the structure, even though you're not going to be in it. Mm. So put that structure together, even though your name's not in the organogram. So that's what I did. I put my head down um, in 20, uh, just in that lead up to 2015 and worked on a new structure at, with no promise of a role at the back of it. And then it would have been in the February, I think, I got a call from um, Gabrielle, who was Anna's PA, to say, listen, if I, if I could drop up to see Anna, and I think it was mid-morning, dropped up and she offered me the marketing director role. And in 2015, I jumped into it. So now I'm going to be marketing director and commercial director and ultimately brand homes as well on top of that. So that's where, you know, that happened in 2015. And then rolled that on to 20, short now on dates, 2018, 2019, when Connor came back. Yeah. And Connor kind of had a look at it going, wow, um, I'm not too sure I like the kind of the division labor here. And I like, you know, the swim lanes are a bit confusing. Um, and I think I'd like you over here on kind of markets and business strategy and brand homes and looking up the graduate program as well that I could hold on to that. <laughs> um, and I want, you know, Brendan was doing innovation. He had the prestige range um, and he had Strat actually. So it was kind of a bit of a swap. Yeah. But it kind of put us into the very defined swim lanes, um, which I think what's what, what Connor wanted and kind of even up the, the focus. Um, to be very honest with you, to try and do the marketing director role as well as the market role, um, as well as brand homes, even though you're at a distant distance as a in my role, you know, at that time, Claire came in, it was her responsibility to manage the brand homes. And that's that's what that role is. It's not my job to manage the brand homes. It was her job. Mm. And now it's Greg's job. But it's it's a great learning um, role to kind of get into general management. So um, it's too much, you know, that to do all of those things and try and you, you become, you, you fly at a level that you, you don't get, you can't get into the detail. Yeah. Um, and you need to get into the detail. And do you have like a, a I guess, currently, because look, it's amazing to see. Um, and we've often on this podcast and certainly on, on our social medias at James McGrath program for those people who want to follow. But we, we've alumni stories. Yeah. Um, and often those alumni stories are people who have transitioned from the program into a role in the last four, five years, maybe. But but it's great to not to give dates or, you know, ages or, or numbers, but okay. for, for you to see your journey from the graduate program to where you are now, um, it, it's amazing to, to see the responsibility you have now in comparison to, we'd say, when you were we started out as a grad. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, um, probably in 2015, that was the biggest change. Mm. Well, actually, no, if I go back, probably 2011 was the biggest change because now I was, I went to the US to work as a brand director and to really hone that skill. And 
was was then asked to come into a, a leadership position on the IDL exec, I wasn't prepared for that. You know, no one had coached me or mentored me in preparation for that. Mm. No, I had been exposed to many great, uh, let's say, leaders and, and, and managers and-, and also bad ones too, by the way. I'd seen the good and the bad. And I was always absorbing, always listening, always watching, always visualizing all the time. What would that be like? What would that feel like? And um, so when I got that position in 2011, I wasn't prepared for it. So I didn't, you know, I didn't know as a, you know, I didn't see myself. Today, I probably still don't see myself as a leader, you know. But you, but you are. No, but I didn't, I didn't see myself as a leader and, um, you know, at the time, I think the team in 2011 would have been about 25 to 30 people and they expect you to lead. Mm. So do I lead from the front and tell everyone what, what way we're going? Do I lead from the back and kind of encourage people to to find their way? Or do I lead from the side and, and do a little bit of both? I had no idea. And, and, and that journey from a manager, because that's what I was, to a leader is something that is a big transition and you kind of have to prepare yourself and others to help you prepare yourself to get there. Like I hadn't done a 360. I hadn't done, you know, where, you know, you've got an opportunity to understand about your style and people give you feedback. And that's imperative, I think, for, for leaders. But I guess what did being on the program teach you or what did you gain from being on the graduate program itself that sort of did it set you up for success? And if so, in what way? Yeah, well, <clears throat> well first, you, know, you, you learn the basics, right? So you, you learn the basics of great brand, brand building. You learn the reality of what it takes to, to, to get your brand and to sell your brand and to manage a brand from a pricing perspective, from a brand management point of view, from a brand world, design, execution, all of that. You learn the absolute basics. So. You know, and you're learning it from the very bottom up. So you, it's, the, it's the best way to learn it. But for me, fundamentally, and we touched on this. Yeah. For me, fundamentally, what the, what the graduate program did for me and I think is doing for others, and it's great now that it's extended over three years rather than 12 months, is it's building individuals' confidence, right? And belief in themselves that they can apply themselves to something and do it well, Yeah, right? It's not that complicated. It's not that, you know, it's for me that the journey that you go on personally over those three years, you know, you're putting yourself out there. You may have an inner belief or inner confidence, but it, there may always be a little bit, bit of a question mark. And I think over that period of time, you develop a, a confidence in your own ability, fundamentally, at a generic base level. So, you know, and that hasn't changed. I don't think so. No, like, no. You, we talk about the graduate program and how much it's expanded. It's it's pro- progressed onto like a three year program. Yeah, there's four people now who work on the graduate team to yeah. help their training and development and their recruitment and selection. And that's all changed. And that's, you know, so much more developed. But in terms of the the, the bones of it, it's, it's still the very same that the confidence growing, the, the experience. Fundamentally, the, I, I believe that that's what it does. And it gives individuals the ability to decide, well, I like this industry or I don't. Mm. And that might happen at the end of the three years or that might happen halfway through the three years. 
um, they may say, listen, I'm going to, depending on where you are on your journey, you may say, well, listen, I'm going to go off and I'm going to travel for another 12 months, or I'm going to go back into uni and study, or I'm going to go into a different business or organization, or I'm going to start my own business. So I think you, over that period of time, you get that clarity. And for me, the beneficiary of that clarity and that confidence and that personal development is actually the brand. So you, th- you know, the brand may be in a, in, a, in a strong position in a particular market mm. and it may be a position of strength. But actually, the evolution of the individual as a, gem- as a, as a graduate, as a Jemison graduate, that evolution Reflects is far more powerful and the effect is really, I, I believe, on the, on, on the brand. So that's what I think. And that's the, I think that's the great thing about the program because I think the work that Sinead and, the, and you guys are doing today um, in terms of allowing individuals that freedom, that space to actually, okay, get into the role and be responsible for what you're doing. Um, that we have the check-ins through gas. Um, we have the check-ins through, through the, the management reports, process. The exactly. Manager, yeah. The line manager. Yeah. But, uh, you know, at the end of, of a, of a, of a 12 month cycle or 24, 36, you know, at the end of that period, if there isn't a position for you and I, our distillers are printer car and there could be, mm-hmm. um, there's another way. And I think trying to empower, empower that as much as we can and to help and support that in terms of placement somewhere else, um, is, is as important as placing internally within primary car. And that's what it prepares you for that. I think so, yeah. yeah. What do you think, uh, this is kind of a question off the top of my head, but what do you think if someone had said to, would say Simon, who just failed his tax exams. Yeah, uh, three times. (laughs) Three times that this is going to be your role um, in terms of leadership, in terms of responsibility. Uh, You see, I I, I actually don't know if I can go, if it starts there, because I think it really starts in secondary school. Okay. Because, you know, I think um, in my school at the time, if you weren't going to become an accountant, um, a solicitor or a barrister, so get into law, or an engineer, everything else was, wasn't was even considered. I probably would have loved to have done something else. I, 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 you know, agriculture, you know, you know, ag science wouldn't have even come on the agenda, you know, wouldn't have even, even been discussed. I think that's the beauty of what we have today in secondary schools. We've got the help. The kids have have help in secondary schools today to, to, through transition year to really explore options for their career and really nail that in around third or fourth year. Start to kind of get a feel where where they want to go and then into fifth and sixth and then into college and then discover mm. and say, OK, well, we might start in an arts, arts program or something else and then move on to something else. It really isn't, I think, a point that we were discussing the other day. It's not that it's not linear. It can be a little bit of a journey that takes many twists and turns. And I think maybe sometimes we put ourselves under too much pressure to expect I need to be, you know, mm. here. And it's, a now, ca- it's a catch-22 in that sense. And like we have so much resources that sometimes people think I need to know what I'm doing. But that's not the case. It's not the case. No. It's not the case. And I think we can put ourselves under too much pressure to force that on ourselves. I do think, however, that, you know, there is, there is a, probably a, a happy medium somewhere between your 20, 25 and 30, where you are starting to kind of nail it a little bit um, and shaping that direction of where you want to yeah. hone your skill through your 30s and then and then, then after into your 40s. 
So between sort of 25 and 30, finding that place where you feel comfortable and, and, and starting to narrow that frame and say, yeah, this is where I want to be. And then through your 30s, really making that work. Mm. I think that's a, I think getting that level of independence in your early 30s is a great place to be. But it's that early 20s where you have to explore and you have to find out. You've got to figure it out. Yeah. But I think today we've got so many more resources to help us. Yeah. You know, in in school and in college. um, Even access to... To inspire us. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have the same level of of insight or or perspective when it was quite narrow. Mm. I have, Simon, I have two more questions and we're going to quick fire round before we finish up. But what advice um, would you give to someone starting out their career journey now. Is that, is, is that it there, what you just said in terms of... I think of- it is. Um, well, fundamentally, be yourself. Don't try to be an image of what you think yourself should be. So fundamentally, be yourself. Get Be comfortable with yourself and be yourself. Um, and then make sure you have trusted people that you can talk to mm. um, that gives you, that would give you good advice about, you know, what, 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 for example, if it, if it's starting in, on college, in college or coming out of college, what those steps should be, what next step I should take. Um, be open at that early point in your career, you know, maybe not too rigid. Um, and try and experience as much as you possibly can in terms of roles and responsibilities. Probably in that period of time, I moved a lot into different roles, different markets, different regions. That kind of international experience as well for me was... I was just going to say, if you can expose yourself to other cultures, it's different. Yeah, it was was amazing. It's valuable. Yeah. I I remember, it's it's just a quick short story in South Africa in in 98, 99, I did a whiskey tasting in the Shebeen in Soweto. Okay. And um, I was brought in by a man called Peter Take. And Peter was a, our sales guy in Soweto. And he was a he was a black belt in judo. Okay. So he was kind of my bodyguard for the day. Um, but I remember going to to this this bar, this little Shebeen called Wandi's place. And we went in and Wandi was asleep. <laughs> uh, but there was a, a three or four other guys kind of having a drink in the in the shebeen, and they called illegal bars in 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 South Africa shebeens, and they were sitting on mayonnaise cartons turned upside down where the where the seats, yeah, and you know those plastic <clears throat> um, uh, containers that hold kind of large bottles of 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 um, soft drinks, you know, Coke or cartons. They had a couple of them laid out with a piece of chipboard on it. And Wandy's daughter came out and said, Wandy is asleep, but he'll be out in it soon. <laughs> but we have dinner for you. So we, we sat and we had dinner. Um, and Wandy came out and then I did the, ta- the, the, the uh, tasting. And that was, and I left so out of going, wow, un- that, was, that was unbelievable. The following week, I was flying first class on the inaugural flight on South African Airways to, like, to Lagos. And I was asked by South African Airways to come with them on the flight and to do a whiskey tasting to the the ANC political leaders that were on the plane. And I got a nod from the captain, make sure he wins the bottle. Anyway, so one minute I'm in Soweto and the next minute I'm on my way to Lagos 
um, doing a whiskey tasting first on the, class uh, first class on the plane on the way to, to Lagos I'll never forget that you know I, I, I can nearly smell Wandy's place <laughs> <laughs> and the dinner you know I'll never forget that so that kind of cultural um, experience lives with you forever mm. um, and I think that opens you up that makes you far more approachable um, it broadens your horizons um, and it kind of it just you know it shaped me um, so you know I, I'll never forget it which is great because I guess the whole the graduate program gives you that international experience so I'm going to finish off with some quick fire questions uh, one word two word answers and then that's it that's yeah amazing. But well done Podge the first one well done Simon I, I, <laughs> I sat here I was listening this was <laughs> I didn't do much work but one word people would use to describe you Ah, uh, God. Um, God, a bit much, though. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, not God. Um, I, 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 I don't know, actually. Um, my best man at my wedding said, resilient. I never give up. Probably, that's probably... That's, yeah. that's, a, perfect, that's a perfect answer. Yeah. One place you want to travel to next? Uh, travel to. Uh, Puglia in Italy. Three words to describe the Jameson International Graduate Program. Three words. Three words. I'll do it in two. Pure class. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> uh, they were getting really creative with some of these, uh, with, with the, these three words. So the favourite part of your job? Um, one word answer. Sounds in brackets here. Bren, <laughs> one word answer. How can you do that in one word? Um, favourite part of my job? It has to... When you're in the market meeting people, that's not one word, but I've said it quickly. People. Yeah. People. Um, and Simon, I guess the question I want to ask you is, do you have a favourite memory of your time with IDL so far? Oh, um, it, it's it's not, it actually wasn't planned, but I, I think um, it's, not, it's, not, it's not one specific moment or memory. I get a great level of satisfaction in seeing graduates, ex-graduates doing well, whether it be in primary car or further field or... Exactly. So, you know, when a couple of years ago when they used to bring out the, and they still do the kind of little... Where are they now? Yeah, exactly. I get a great buzz out of that. And, you know, seeing people um, particularly... Look, it can be anybody. I get, I get, bla- I get blamed for this now. I get blamed for being biased to the Jameson Graduate <laughs> Program. <laughs> but I, I, I've been. It's been said. Oh, you're you're biased, and you you need to. You know, you should hire beyond the program. I do be hire beyond the program, <laughs> for Christ's sake. But I do get a great buzz about seeing people do well and progress in life. And you know, obviously, I've seen that through the graduate program. It's, so. it's a pipeline of talent. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and Simon, final question: Anyone who's on the fence about applying for the program? whether it be for the video, whether it be because they're unsure, would you have, what would you say to them? Well, I mean, if you're on the fence, maybe you're not, maybe it's not ready, for, you're not ready for it. Um, I think you've got to really feel it in your heart and your, in your head. Um, it's got to, it's got to feel right for you. And when, when it does, and I've met lots of people where they're sort of 50, 50, 60, 40, and then suddenly they go, no, this isn't for me. I'm going to stay with the band and I'm going to, you know, travel the world, you know, do that go what's in your heart and head um and i think if you if you commit in that way then you'll make it a success 
Lovely. Well, Simon, I want to thank you very much for joining me in this very special episode. Thanks, it was Podge. an absolute pleasure talking to you. And great hearing your story. Mm-hmm. It's like the first time I've he- heard it full way through. Um, I've only heard drips and drabs every now and again, but it's great to get the, the, the <laughs> There full. was a lot of pooling first year in college. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much to Simon and to all the guests who've been on the season this year. As always, please check out our website at jamesongradioprogram.com and our social channels at jamesongradioprogram for hints, tips, tricks and the closing date on the Jameson International Graduate Programme. From all us here in the Jameson International Graduate Programme and Collaborative Studios, thanks and see you soon.